come to tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for being with us here on the program. I do make that uh, appreciation uh, every program. Uh, I thank you for the time that is so valuable to each one of us uh, that you spend with us here on Tell Me Your Story to hear about the stories of the people around us. And um, I'm trying to, I'm, I mean, I've been doing this for over 40 years. You'd think I'd have it down, but hey, sometimes uh, things get away from me and uh, I tend to, uh, yeah, I, I have been uh, critiqued for uh, talking too much, for sharing too much, or let the guests talk more. Well, this is a conversation and sometimes conversations are, uh, somewhat one-sided, but we don't want to do that here on this program. We want to make it two-sided and as balanced, if not more so, from the guest. Our guest today, I'm excited to talk about the work that she has for us today, the gift of the shift, S-H-I-F-T, the gift of the shift. It is discovering the key within to unlock your best life. And my guest today is uh, the co-author Along with uh, Tracy McDonald, we have with us Anne Papiotti, and I thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Richard. I'm delighted to be here with you. I do have to ask at the outset, because I, I don't know why, but I just love that last name. Tell me where that's from. I married a Greek-American. That is a Greek name, and in Greece, they have an S on the end, so Papayotis. But the S was lost somewhere when they came to the States. His dad uh, came to the States, lost the S. His mom still lives in Greece, and on her doorbell, it has the S on it. Well, the uh, O dropped off of uh, Dugan, so and many other Irish names coming over on the boat. So same thing happens here, only in this case with the Greeks, it's the S. I'm sure yeah. other nationalities, other letters, letters are left at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I am sure. Um, you know, I, I, and, and it, it, when you said that, when you mentioned Greece, it, it brought back very fond memories back to the 80s when I was working at a station where... I helped to produce a program on a Sunday afternoon called the All-New Greek-American Hour. And I learned a few phrases oh. like, uh, Opa, and Efaristo, yeah. you know, and Giro. Very good. That's about Very as far good, as it Richard. goes. Well, thank you. Uh, and I have to tell you, the people were, they were, they were fabulous. And actually, the wife was was, uh, I believe she was Greek. I know the husband was. His last name was Borges. And um, we'd go to the Greek festival. I don't know if you have the Greek festival in your community where you go. Uh, but yeah. uh, uh, each nationality uh, has s such a rich, a rich, rich heritage that needs to be shared. And you're sharing yours, not specifically your heritage, but at least uh, uh, what comes through you as a Greek-American through your book, uh, The Gift of the Shift. You know, and um, I hope people will go to your website and pick up uh, a copy of that. Uh, as we get started here, tell us where is the best place for us to go, like your website, to find out more about you and also maybe even to pick up a copy through through Amazon. Fabulous. So my website is skyviewcoaching.com. Oh. So Sky, looking up. I want everybody to look up in life. So skyviewcoaching.com. And you can connect with me there. You can also uh, direct link 
to Amazon for the book there, or you can go to any online bookseller to pick up the book, Barnes and Noble and such. Or if you want to support your local bookstore, they can order it from their Ingram Sparks catalog as well. There you go. Skyview is also the name of a program that I host, co-host uh, here on oh, this station you. where we're looking at the sky and there looking up there and seeing what we can see uh, through various realms like uh, astronomy, space, aviation, and weather. Uh, yeah. And uh, in this case, uh, it isn't going to be necessarily any one of those four. It's actually a fifth category. Uh, and I would have to put it under the category more so uh, of spirit, uh, mm -hmm. of the soul, of the essence of who and what we are. Is that a fair assessment? That is uh, an extremely fair assessment. In fact, accurate. Yes. How did you find this gift, this gift of the shift? So my co-author, Tracy McDonald and I, we met through our life coach training um, experience and we were just drawn to each other, I believe spiritually, actually. And we both just loved the power of perspective and how the human mind could change the human experience. And we started collaborating together and creating content together. And we recognized it, it, the title just came as uh, through a casual conversation. And we created a workshop of the title, The Gift of Shift, talking about the change of perspective to change not the circumstances of life, but to change how we experience them. And so from that, it took a few years, but I always told Tracy that we should write a book together and she was not for that idea, <laughs> but eventually, eventually she came around and we agreed to, to do this. And it was pre-pandemic. In fact, it was January, 2020 that we started writing the book. And I know that you, Richard, believe in the power of story. And, and this is what the gift of shift is. It's a collection of personal stories, six of Tracy, six of mine, where we share how we went from sort of powerless negative states and ways of thinking and feeling and being and shifted just our mindset, not our experience into more powerful ways of thinking, feeling, and therefore being and experiencing life. And we told those stories to inspire readers to see that they could do the same. And so behind each story are five coaching questions, if you will, so that the, the reader can then reflect on how this theme of the story has played out in their own lives and answer these questions. And they may just recognize that, you know, they're already past that, but but discover and be reminded of a strength or a character trait from their life that helped them get through that. So they could use that through something now, because like the weather, life keeps changing, right? And there's always another storm. Or they may recognize by reflecting and answering these questions that, you know what, I'm still stuck in that. I'm still carrying this with me in some way. And maybe it will help them move through, let go and, and unlock their life a bit. You have, um, I guess you could call it an opening statement in the book that goes to all the people, circumstances and experiences shared in, this, in these pages, each played a significant role in developing and shaping us 
into the women we are today, referring to, of course, to you and Tracy. Thank you for being the bearer of these gifts in our lives. We are both grateful and, and humbled. Uh, I have to say that I could, uh, I could not agree with that more in terms of my life and where I'm at. Uh, I didn't get here by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I find it interesting that a lot of people want to take credit for how they got where they are. Uh, now, I'm not saying that I didn't haven't done the work. I sure did. Yeah. I did the work, just like you've done the work. But there were so many, I, and I have to say there have got to be thousands of people in my life over the uh, decades that have contributed to me being where I am today. And I am certainly thankful and grateful and humble as well. Uh, yeah. And I stick, I really work on that humility too, by the way, because I don't know about you, uh, I don't know about you, but I, <laughs> I find it interesting how the universe, if you don't stay humble, Anne, the universe has a way of giving you your comeuppance. <laughs> so true. <laughs> to help to keep you humble. Yes, yes, yes. I haven't heard that term in a long time. You're coming up and says, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm from the old school. I, I come from the old country. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have Irish in my path. In my so I'm a mutt. I married the Greek. I'm a mutt. But um, yes, the, the come up and I agree. Humility is such a, a grace that we could all use an extra helping of, I believe, from time to time. But I recognize. I, I'm even thanking the people who created pain in my life because I learned from that pain and I grew from that pain. So even the people who said no to me, you know, and, and forced me to go through another door. Mm. So it's the people who supported me. It's the people who, who didn't, who forced me to turn a different, you know, take a different path in life. I thank all of them because that all of their input, all of their, um, their, their, their interaction with me has put me where I am now and forced my growth and my, my, um, my uh, learning, my seeking, I should say, to be calm who I am. Mm. We are all transitioning, transforming, and I use that word rather than the word changing because someone said to me once in an interview, said, you know, the, the problem with the word change is that if you change that way, then you can change back. So you might want to use the word transform. Now it's okay, semantics, but nonetheless. And I, I mean, I just shared with you as we went on the air of a, a, of a transformational phase that I'm going through. One I, I'd hoped was decades away. I really did. Uh, and that was dealing with the loss of a family member, a, a family member of the immediate family of mother, father, and children. I lost my, uh, my eldest sister, Jeanette, to cancer, among other things. But one of the beautiful things that's coming out of all of this for us as a family is our reminiscing. And of course, what I am hearing about her, because uh, from the age of 21, I moved out and I still stayed in contact. There was no estrangement. It's just, I wasn't there nearly as much as everybody else. I was off doing my own thing, but I'd call in once in a while. And so I didn't really hear about all of the things that were happening. And now I'm finding out that uh, 
Number one, in spite of everything that she went through in her entire life, uh, that I remember she had asthma as a child and a, and a, a teenager and a young adult, and yet the woman played French horn. Who does that, you know? Yeah. But the one thing about all of the ailments and issues that she's dealt with and throughout her entire life up until her passing, everybody has stated this. Not once. She never showed it. Let's put it this way. Did she ever ex show any bitterness? Mm. No bitterness mm. at all. She is the most that was the most soft-spoken yet strongest person in our family. Uh, mm. As far as that's concerned, I mean, God, what a lesson that I, as her brother, younger brother, could learn. Uh, because I had a morning like you wouldn't believe, just getting into work, where I was ready to just, you know, thank God I I kept my wits about me and I didn't try to get out of the truck and you know you just turned and. and I, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So when we are talking about these beautiful gifts and and uh, uh, you you list them, obviously, here in the table of contents and some of them we're going to touch upon as we continue. But I, I want to bring to our listeners attention. There's space in here for you to write because they leave some questions for you to answer, some statements for you to address and so forth. And we hope that you will. Pick up a copy of The Gift of the Shift from the authors, both Tracy McDonald and my guest, Anne Papayotti, and we are talking with you here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I am very grateful that we have Anne Papayotti with us. I'm also very grateful that I'm getting the name right just about every time. I, 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 I do have to say, Anne, to me it is the height of disrespect to mispronounce someone's name. Now, I understand that the folks at Ellis Island, they were not real happy with what they had to do, but they were changing people's names left and right because they couldn't pronounce them. Mm. And, and I get that, and I, I'm not casting any judgment on them. But today, here we are, and ask you before, I could have asked you before the interview, well, how do you pronounce your last name? But I figured it out. I mean, it made perfect sense to me. Papayotti. Uh, and... Um, yeah. So it's it's one of those things that uh, I, I you know I mean it's especially if I messed up on your first name Anne, I mean how can you <laughs> mess that up? But I, I I believe it's a great deal. Uh, it's it's a sense of respect that we show to one another. Could that be one of those gifts under one of these categories that we might talk about a little bit? It could be. I think um, just respecting others is definitely a gift. It's something that we may have to learn in life. It could be one of the lessons that we learn for sure. Mm. So we can talk about that. But what I love that you just shared about your family story, I just want to say sure. is you found the gift beyond the grief already. And it's been just a, a week, I believe you said, mm -hmm. um, you've already shifted from grief, not that your grief is finished by no. any means, yeah. but no. you've shifted and you've, you found a gift which meant, and, and I know that kind of grief, I've, I lost a child. So I know that kind of really mm. deep, excruciating, indescribable, sometimes unfathomable grief, but to be able to focus on something else. And the whole premise of positive psychology is not to deny that the bad exists in life because it does. Mm -hmm. We lose mm -hmm. people literally, mm -hmm. 
but to focus on the positive because both exist. And that's what I'm hearing your family doing. And I just want to say to anyone who's listening, who's lost a family member, and so many people have, you know, during this difficult, you know, time during the pandemic, um, loss has been such a focus, but to, to positive focus on that for you to share the stories of your sister's life and to, to find the beauty uh, that she shared that you all can take from, I just wanted to say that's the gift of shift right there. And I'm sure that her husband, Perry would uh, agree that she was a very graceful individual and, and woman. Uh, she obviously before the instability started to set in where she had to walk with a cane, even before then, you know, she she didn't move really fast. It was a slow but steady uh, um, move forward, shall we say, both physically as well as in, in her career and the things that she was doing. And I have to say also, folks, that uh, she... Uh, she made second chair French horn in the Scottsdale Symphony Orchestra probably eight to ten years ago. So that is how good my sister was. You don't get into, especially the Scottsdale Symphony Orchestra there in Phoenix, in, in Arizona, uh, just because you know somebody. you got to be able you know how to play, and she did. Um, uh-huh. One of the That's other cute. gifts that I wanted to talk to you about, and uh, we'll be going back and forth here, which I think is real interesting to uh, uh, to me, um, because I used to feel a little bit like the gift of Charlie Brown, and I think we've all felt that way from time to time, where um, he didn't get, shall we say, the respect that he deserved. I don't think you would consider what happened to him to be necessarily bullying, would you? But he was kind of a melancholy kind of guy. Yeah. Actually, I should say is. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, um, and Charlie Brown, I chose the gift of Charlie Brown as the title for that particular chapter is actually the one that's about the loss of my child. I chose it to talk about grief. Good grief. But let's talk about Charlie Brown. He was always looking down. Like you said, he was melancholy, always looking down. But Snoopy, his sidekick, was always looking up. Yeah. Remember the Red Baron? You know, his match. Anyway, so there's a quote. (laughs) I put it up, (laughs) right? And Snoopy is always on top of his house, looking up, looking at the sky, you know, dreaming, daydreaming. And Uh, There's a quote from Snoopy um, that is in the book. It's about, there's always something good to come, but you have to look up to see it. Just got to look up. And I'm also talking about Charlie Brown finds the true meaning of Christmas. We all know that story where he's got the little tree that's falling over. I have a little Charlie Brown back here, (laughs) a little statue on Right, I know if your two watchers can see anyway, and you can, but someone gave me this because of that chapter and he has the little tree and he's, you know, he's like Christmas is ruined, you know, nothing's right. And then during that play with all of his friends, his, his characters, you know, Linus is reciting this poem and Charlie Brown has this aha moment where he recognizes the true meaning of Christmas had nothing to do with the tree. Yeah. And he goes outside with this tree and he looks up and he's, and he has this moment. Well, that's what I had after the loss of my son. I had an opportunity 
to look up from my grief, the depths of my grief, and to reconnect to the true meaning of, of motherhood and of my, and I created, created pain or purpose from my pain, I should say, because I looked up and there was an opportunity for me to speak to a group of resident pediatricians at Children's Hospital where he had passed away. And in that, I was able to share his little two-week life story. But in that, I knew I was giving them a message, power of story, that they would take throughout their careers Mm. and into every life they ever touched may his story always be in their mind so that they would always have compassion on their tongues, because that's all it was about. They didn't teach bedside manner, at least not back then. And while I had, you know, wonderful care for my son, I did not have a compassionate tongue to tell me that my son was going to pass. And so that was why I was asked to speak. And, but when I did that and I realized this is what just happened. This gave purpose to his passing. I saw the true meaning of everything. And I felt I, it, there was a spiritual connection with that. There was a moment, but I felt like Charlie Brown when he walked outside of his little Christmas tree because my child was premature. He, he didn't look like the Gerber baby. I felt like this wasn't right. This wasn't I wasn't a mom. I didn't deserve to be a mom. This was, there was lots of thoughts going through my head that were just not um, in alignment with what I thought motherhood and my, my child and childbirth and all of things were supposed to be. Mm. And I had the true meaning of life and purpose of life. It didn't matter how long his life was. It meant what mattered was how meaningful it was. And so there is the gift of Charlie Brown. That's interesting because a similar comment was made about my sister who was, we will say, was only, she was only 65. Oh my God, she was so young. And it's like, it's interesting how that has so little to do with what I shared earlier about my memories of her, it didn't matter how old she was when she passed, the meaning of her life and what she brought to all of us. Uh, that's a tough one for a lot of folks, especially going through grief, to tap into initially because they're so shaken by the loss of that individual. Now, I find it fascinating, too, and co- uh, coincidal. Okay, I don't believe in coincidence, but I do believe in coincidences, incidents that happen connectedly. My, I like that. My former wife's mother, who has since passed, my former wife's mother who has passed, was also a nurse in the NICU, Neonatal yeah. Intensive Care Unit, for I don't know how many decades, and I don't know how she managed to maintain her, you know, her her mental stability through all of that because you're watching kids, and she had so much experience. She knew when a child came in there whether they were going to make it or not. They would still do everything they could, but they didn't. She just she knew, yeah. uh, and that's also a hard one for the medical profession to recognize. I've kind of brought this up a number of times and we'll kind of move out of this in a moment, but um, 
the medical community doesn't know when to say when. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, they I suppose I, I am assuming my sister. Well, my sister, actually, she passed in her home, which I think is fantastic. Just like my great uh, my grandmother on my mother's side. Uh, she was in our home at Thanksgiving uh, when I was maybe seven years old. And we had just watched that night Sound of Music, her favorite movie. That was and my mom. Yeah. And she went to bed. And my sister Jeanette does remember when she got up. Went to the bathroom, came back, laid down, and went to sleep for the last time. And uh, they shared with me, you know, my sister's uh, uh, experiences here uh, a week ago. And that, that's a beautiful thing. I have to tell you that I have no—there is no morbidity, no nothing, uh, you know, icky about that. I thought uh, even then, but even especially now, I think— Man, that is so cool that we were there. We got to be a part of that. As hard as it might have been, we got to be a part of that because that's part of life. Yeah, I, I have to say one of my greatest blessings, and, and some people cringe at this, but I held my son as he passed. They took him off his respirator. I, I told them they're going to have to throw me off the building if he tries to breathe. But um, they said, no, he's tired. He's he's medicated. He's yeah. on morphine. It's a good time. It was after the surgery that was, you know, in an effort to save his life. But it was the last ditch effort. Mm-hmm. And and I got to hold him for the first time when he was born. He was whisked to the NICU. So I never had been able to hold him. Mm. I was only able to let him wrap his his fingers his little hand around my finger. So I had never held him. So it was very bittersweet, but I held him as he passed. It was also with my dad as he took his final breaths in at our home. And and I just got a call that said, if you want to see him, you need to get home. He had hospice had just been called in two days before. So nobody thought it was about to happen. And I lived out of state, but I made it. And he, I told him to wait for me. I told him, please tell him. And he did. And I saw him, my, my sons and I were with him for his last three breaths. My mom, I was with my mom as she passed and she passed 11 days from diagnosis to to passing. And I was living in Canada at the time and had come home to Alabama, went back home for a few days. We thought she had three months. So I was again, blessed that I was actually there and with her. It's such a beautiful thing to be with someone when they transition peacefully. And so I am very grateful. Again, a shift from this is when you have, we have to challenge our belief systems. We have to open our mindsets. And when you can have a belief, and even if it's science or religion, and you bring it together and you understand energy, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't care if you bring it from science to religion, it's, that's, right. this is where they match. Yeah, That energy cannot be created nor destroyed only change transformed whichever word you want to use then it's gonna that you know when the there the energy gonna leave the body where's it gonna go the body it's gonna go somewhere so whichever belief however you want to use it yeah that's just where religion and science meet science talk- just doesn't tell us where it goes right and religion does mm-hmm we're talking to Anne Papayotti. The book is uh, The Gift of the Shift. And the website, once again, is Skyview. 
Coaching. Coaching. Skyviewcoaching.com will be linked to that website here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it is such a pleasure to talk with Anne Papayotis about, uh, well, there is no S on the end of her name, but we'll throw it in there for the sake of uh, accuracy, uh, talking about the discovery of the key within to unlock your best life. You have shared um, so much about what most people would consider to be very painful memories. And yet, and I know that this is not due to a lack of emotion and connection, uh, but probably due to uh, an abundance of work that you have done to work through to where you're able to share this, and correct me if I'm wrong here, without, you know, without breaking down and, and please, unapologetically crying. Please, folks, don't apologize when you cry. Do you apologize when you laugh? (laughs) But it seems like you you have a strength there. Yes. And and it's something that was built. It's not something that was instant. And there are still times that I'll cry over, you know, my son and he would be 28 years old now. There are still days that I, you know, I'll, I'll cry over the loss of my mom who passed in 2017 or my dad in 2005. I know these dates because they're, they're meaningful, but I've created again, as I was talking about the premise of positive psychology, I choose, and it's a choice and I have to choose it again every day, Richard, I make the choice to focus on the positive. So I focus on those memories. I, the, I focus on the fact that those 70, you know, pediatricians to be then that are now practicing are remembering Jansen's story so that it doesn't take them more time they, to, to do. They don't have to hold the people's hands. They don't have to become their, but they can use compassionate tone. And they can look them in their eyes. And going back to that respect you talk about, mm-hmm. that's in this chapter. Look them in the eye and know their name. And know that child's name when you tell them that their child is not going to make it. Yeah, That's all. It was three simple things that I needed from that man. I did not need him to hold my hand or cry for me. I did not. Mm-hmm. I needed the respect of a compassionate tone and to look me in the eye and to know my name and my son's name. That's it. So that's what I'm talking about, but I will still have these little moments, but I shift quickly. I shift quickly from the sadness to the gladness Mm -hmm. that they were Mm -hmm. in my life and that I had these opportunities to, to um, learn from them and to now help others because of them. It's the gift of the shift that we're talking about here on the program, and Papayota, Papayoti, and we are here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I want to ask you about one of the other chapters that I'm going to say it actually goes along with this conversation, uh, the gift, and this, this really, ah, oh, man, it, it's, to me, it's so powerful because we're always looking for them. The gift of the superhero. Ooh, yeah. We're always this looking is, for that. We, we are, aren't we? And I think we often look in the wrong places, but 
The Gift of Superhero is one of my co-authors chapters that we discussed it in great detail because what we were wanting to capture in this story were was for us personally and our readers to notice to notice and be grateful for the people who've made a difference in our lives. Mm. Notice and be grateful for the people and sometimes it's just those little things. And Tracy starts with a story about some people who simply gave her a ride one day that took her out of what in her gut told her was a dangerous situation. She had to choose this or strangers, but both felt dangerous because her mindset said, don't get in the car with stranger. But her mind also told her, this is bad. This is the only way out. And she was lost in the moment in in a city that she didn't live in. And she never saw them again, didn't know their names to even thank them. So she wanted to recognize that. Well, in this age of COVID that we're living in, there are a lot of superheroes in our lives that we don't recognize. And certainly I think we can all acknowledge our healthcare workers, our essential workers, our the, the delivery workers, you know, all of these people that maybe went unnoticed before came to the forefront. We can notice them as superheroes that kept us going, kept us um, moving forward, kept us supplied, kept a, all of these things in general as a collective. But get down to the personal level. Who is your, who have been your superheroes? Who have been those kind of people that just zoomed in, <laughs> whooshed in, in a moment of need, and flew out and they're gone. Yeah. Who was your yeah. Superman and your Wonder Woman and your Batman and in just a moment and that maybe you never got to see them again or thank them again, but to go back and have that moment and it, just feel that gratitude. You know, and I also had a, a thought about that as well. And I thought about how the general public they would say, oh, yeah, our, our first responders, they are heroes and so on and so forth. But the general public, ref in many cases, refused to do what was necessary to keep from getting sick. So they didn't wind up on that table or in that bed where those first responders had to deal with them and then possibly even watch them die. And I just yeah. sat there going, you, do you really care about these people or not? How much yeah. do you understand the stress and the strain? There are people who were first responders. They're not anymore because they got burned out. It was just overwhelming what they had to deal with. And the general public, in their words, said, yes, we love you and thank you for being there, but not in their actions. And that's what that's what hurts hurts me is it's not enough to say thank you, how about you do what you can to keep yourself from being in their midst I'm where they you, work? Richard. I'm with you. And that's taking that responsibility yeah. um, and looking beyond yourself. People got, you mentioned the word you know, bitter. Your sister was never bitter. Never. About, and we saw so many people become bitter about what they lost or could not do. So in the, in the chapter of the gift of Jomo, I talk about the pandemic a little bit. I talk about, um, we, we all kind of got in this dance. So if, for your listeners who may not be familiar with the acronym Jomo, it stands for joy of missing out. Well, it's the opposite of FOMO, fear of missing out. 
And I think what happened during the initial, the onset of the pandemic, there was a little bit of both. For some, it was JOMO. I get to stay home because we didn't know it was going to be we're two years in at the yeah. time, two weeks, you know, <laughs> and others, it was, I can't go to my gym. I can't go to my restaurant. I can't go to my bar. You know, there was that fear mindset of missing out, which fear can be anger and conflict. And fear. So there was a little bit, this dance going on. Some people doing this dance, some people doing this dance. And the longer it went on, you know, I know at first I can tell you my um, fanny imprints were showing up in my sofa and I was mindlessly <laughs> eating and, you know, Netflixing news, Netflix, news, Netflix till 2 a.m. And then going, what the heck? Until I took responsibility for my own outcomes and changed it. Now, some people got that way because it was, they got in that fear dance because what you're going to tell me what to do, to wear a mask, to do this, to do that, to that. And it's just resistance. Yeah. Resist, resist, resist because somebody's telling them what to do. Whereas other people we saw do the joy dance of, okay, I'm stuck at home. Okay. What can I learn? We saw people baking bread, learning how to garden, reconnecting with um, their intimate partner, getting closer with their family, enjoying the outdoors, doing board games instead of technology. So we saw this dance and people had to decide if they were going to put fear in the corner or not. Well, two years into it, I'm seeing, at least in my practice, a lot of people who are regretting putting joy in the corner because they were so resistant. But when it gets to this, what you're talking about with the healthcare, Tracy and I've done some workshops for some um, healthcare employees. And you're right, this burnout and and they, there was a lot of, they saw a lot of both. They saw people coming out and applauding them and doing things for them. They are, and they heard thank yous, but they also would go to a store in a mask in a place that didn't require a mask and get ridiculed for wearing a mask. And, and they're like, don't you get it? And don't you hear our cries about, please just help us help you. And so, but that's what happens. It's the fear mindset that's resistance and bitterness about what's being taken away. When people are in that place, they only see what's happening to them and their pain, their frustration, and they can't think about others. They don't see the bigger picture, even though they may say they do, mm. they don't because mm. it's high ego, low awareness, and it's a low energetic vibration. Yeah. People who chose joy were in a higher place and saw a bigger picture and a bigger, that they were part of a bigger picture and they played their role in that. And Papayotti is my guest. The Gift of the Shift is the book. Skyviewcoaching.com is the website. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is a pleasure to have Anne with us here, co-author of The Gift of the Shift. You know, it's it's. I, I do want to say this uh, uh, before we go any further about what we've just been talking about. We're not trying. We're not passing judgment on anybody for what they did during the pandemic. Not not at all. We're asking people to take a look at what they did during the pandemic, at least at the very least. And I'm not casting aspersions, and I know Anne is not either. We're just 
We're just sharing our observations. As always, that's all we do on this program is share our observations of, of what's going on in this world. Uh, one of my observations has to be um, in regards to, and I, I've said this before on the program, I love saying this uh, because I'm very much into numbers and I'm very much into uh, bigger numbers each time. Uh, I have a best friend who I've, I've known since grade school. And we went through grade school, high school, and college together. We've stayed connected over the years, even when, of all things, my best friend was homeless and called me, probably asking me for money. And the best I could do is offer him the suggestion that he was still in his hometown. He still had the network that he had and that he needed to go to one of those friends of his and say, look... Um, uh, if I could just stay with you for a little while till I get myself back up on my feet, it would really, really help me out. And he found one who did, and he is back on his feet. I have known him, this is what I love saying, for 50 years. Now, I'm only 61, okay? But I've known him for 50 years, half a century. And I don't know why that's cool, it just is. But you have a chapter, the reason I bring it up is you have a chapter entitled The Gift of BYOBFF. Yeah. Yeah. So this is about being your own best friend. Oh. Oh, yes. Well, this is because, why? Because we're always with whom? Ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Who are we always talking to? Who do we talk to like we would not? talk to anybody else like yeah we would never talk to our best friend or someone we've known 50 years the way we talk to ourselves sometimes we are our own worst critic we um we (laughs) self-punish we Mm -hmm. we, think about it how many times if when i have uh sometimes i'll have clients like keep a a journal like just how many times did you build yourself up today versus how many times did you tear yourself down how many times did you build a friend up how many times did you tear a friend never did they tear a friend down now i i personally would like a friend to tell me the truth like that's not your color that's not the best out you look better in that that one's not doing you but but that one's great tell me the truth Mm -hmm. But don't put me down. Don't um, criticize me and don't tell me that I'm not good enough and not smart enough. And I, I, sh- I shouldn't do that because, you know, that's just going to um, I'm just going to fail if I try. You know, you remember the last time you tried that? OK, so, uh, so why bother? Don't do that again. You know, you're so but we do that to ourselves. So that inner voice, this chapter is about that inner critic that is always along for the ride, in the car, in the shower, (laughs) it's everywhere. So what would be different if we were our own best friend? It would be very different. What would be different if you taught yourself like you did that friend from 50 years and set yourself up for success, gave yourself that kind of advice, that kind of guidance, pushed yourself through that, you know, what's the best scenario here? 
You know, there's a, a song by um, uh, Tom Chapin, Harry Chapin's brother, that uh, I, I remember that bring you bring to mind. And one of the lines is, in it is, uh, old friends are better than new friends because they know where you've been. Hmm. And... Um, there's there's some truth to that, whether it's uh, an external friend, but even more so if you are your own best friend. And by the way, this is one of the things that we talk about on this program, encouraging people to go where? Go within, to listen to that still small voice. You, I call it my friend during the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Yeah. Um, I really looked forward, believe it or not, to 2020 when I was in my uh, teens thinking, yeah, I'll know exactly how old I am because, first of all, my birthday, uh, the year falls on a, a 10, a, you know, a multiple of 10. So that's real easy to remember each year. Um, but when I'm tw in 2020, I'll be 60. I was born in 1960, but in 2020, I'll be 60. Uh, again, I'm... <laughs> It's some silly stuff, but it's it's my silly stuff. It's your stuff, yeah. And here we are in the midst, uh, in the early stages of 2020, uh, the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision. And we do encourage people to take time to sit quietly somewhere, anywhere. As one of my guests said, even if it's just for 60 seconds, even just for a minute, oh, yeah. and listen, and listen, and listen. Um how often are you able to spend time? Because as, as we continue to move further and further out, as we seem to be, seem to be getting further and further away from the COVID era, as I have called it. Yes. Our lives are starting to take on a little more activity and a little more action and movement and spreading out and so forth. So how about you? Yeah. I listen, this is, this is my big message really. And I have a program I call soul CPR. So let's talk about that for a moment. One of the chapters I have in the book is the gift of buoyancy. And in that chapter, I talk about my dad teaching me how to swim back in, at, back home in Alabama in a lake. But before he would teach me how to swim, he insisted I first learn how to float. And I was impatient. I wanted to learn how to swim. And he said, no, first you must learn how to float because if you only learn how to swim, you're going to wear out and you're going to get tired and you're going to sink and you could drown. Mm. So we're going to learn how to float first. And by, I had no idea how important that lesson would be, Richard, throughout my life and now foundational to my life's work. So floating, think about it. When you're lying on your back in the water, you have the sky view, the whole sky above you. Your ears are underwater. You can hear your breath. You can hear mm -hmm. your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you reconnect. So this was all about being still. Like you're talking about that reconnection, recharging, refreshing, getting a new perspective. Because when you're just swimming, you're only focused on what's right in front of you or what's right below you. And just go, 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 go till you wear out. Mm -hmm. And so what I did wrong in life, I had a happy childhood. It wasn't until my early twenties that I learned that life has a way of pulling us under, so to speak. And I got, you know, capsized upside down in the water and 
when I finally kind of righted myself, I just started swimming. I didn't take the time to float Mm. and listen and reconnect. (laughs) And when I just started swimming, I wore out and I climbed in the first boat. Well, the first boat was the next wrong thing. And then when I got capsized out of that one, I just swam to the next one and it was the next wrong thing. So I ended up, you know, in a series of sort of toxic relationships with friends, friends taking advantage of me and then an abusive marriage and then a therefore divorce. And anyway, thing after thing after thing, because I didn't do what I'd learned to do, which was to float and be still this thing that you're talking about. But then I did. Mm. And now I do. But so what I I do with the people that I work with is we first float. And by that, when I say soul CPR, because I realized I lost myself, I denied myself. So connect the dots. Mm -hmm. So look back first. You got to do this while you're floating, while you're being still. Connect the dots of your journey and understand how you got to where you are. Because like the menu in a child's restaurant, and you're connecting the dots to create, sometimes it's not what you expect it to be. Oh, that's what I did. Oh, that's where I did that. The good and the bad, the celebrations and the the traumas, so to speak. Okay, that's how I ended up here. Mm. Okay, that's what, yeah. And then pinpoint the pain. Here's the emotion that I'm still holding on to that's got me here and why I feel stuck or or. I'm still making decisions that keep me in these patterns. That's the P. Then the R, recover the truth of who am I? Oh, yeah. And I recover that. Restore your soul right here. Then you know which boat to go to. You can swim with strength and confidence. So that's soul CPR. And that's what I do. So to answer your question, yeah, just before you and I went online today, I just took a walk outside. That was my being still. That was my floating. I just went outside and I, I literally looked up at the sky and I took a few deep breaths and I felt the wind in my hair and on my face and I grounded myself and then I came in to meet you. I will say that um, it's interesting how it goes back to my sister, uh, Jeanette. She, uh, we had a, a neighbor who had a pool next door when we were kids growing up. Of course, the, the biggest challenge was always in the summertime, going to mom and dancing. Uh, mom, dad, could could you take us swimming? Because we could never go alone. We can go without adults. Could you take us? And, of course, it was always somebody had to be chosen. It was like, you know, okay, you got to walk the uh, the death march to get to the mom and dad to ask them because they might kill you. <laughs> but my sister, Jeanette, could float on her back in that pool. Now... I have never learned how to float on my back in any body of water. However, however, I can float face down just fine. <laughs> you know, um, and I can swim. But uh, your, your, your father's point is very well taken about swimming versus floating. And I, I, I try to do this. And someone's like, well, there is no do. There is no try. There is either do or don't do, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Yoda. <laughs> uh, but it's, it, is, uh, it is really important sometimes uh, to use the metaphor of floating to pause, not just to look around. But I used this analogy, and it, it kind of came up rather interestingly. Um, 
of allowing yourself to be taken by the river. Mm. Just let yourself go. Let yourself be carried by the currents. Yes, there will be some rapids down the road, down the river, but then it'll smooth out again. And yes, the currents might take you close to the left bank and then back out to, and then the currents might take you to the right bank and back out. And all different kinds of things can happen, might happen. But if you just allow yourself to relax in the water, just mm -hmm. let it carry you. Yeah. Now, the metaphor is really true for my sister because she allowed herself to be carried right out into the open ocean. We'll call spirit, if you will. And that's where we're all going. And my father, in his inimitable way, he said this many times, though he doesn't like to be referred to as a wise guy, said, uh, eat, drink, and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. And that is true for the physical body, but the reality is that we are immortal, that we, we are more than just, as some have said, the meat suit that we inhabit. Um, <laughs> I think of that scene in um, Men in Black where this huge creature is now laying out on this table and they pop open the head and there's this little itty bitty guy in there operating that huge body. And yeah. I have to tell you that as a kid growing up, I would look out my eyes and that's how I would think. That mm. I'm inside here looking around inside this big machine, whatever it is, watching everybody else. And they're all here for me. They're all here for my entertainment or whatever. Never realizing that I was there for theirs, you know. <laughs> What about that in terms where does that fall in terms of a gift? Do we have uh, uh, one in the category or is it something new that we're, we're, we're bringing up here for you? Um, it's, I would say that it's, it's not a category as in a chapter, but it's all about the power of the mind is what I'm hearing you say. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it's our message in this book is the power of choice and we get to choose to unwrap it. And a lot of people forego opening that gift that they have the power of choice and the choice of, of choosing how they're going to experience life. And you found something you could grasp onto from that movie, or if that was where you first took that, and then to be able to see how you were going to experience your life and to recognize that that was the body's just a body, the mind's controlling it, so to speak. Well, that's true. Mm -hmm. The mind is controlling this. So we all have choice in the mindset and it is controlling our actions. So mm -hmm. if we will unwrap this gift of choice, that is our greatest, greatest gift in life, I believe, is the power of choice, choosing our mindset to change how we, or transform, you got me going to say that word now, <laughs> transform how we experience it because we can't change that death is going to happen to people, that bad things happen to people. We all have undesirable things happen to us in life, right? Yeah. And we all express or withhold our emotions 
these painful emotions that come with those undesirable things differently. And that's what happened when we're talking about observing how people handled the pandemic differently, right? Because we express and withhold differently, but we created our own unique pain because of that. Mm. And we continue to do that. We create ongoing pain. And that's where I'm saying, I'm hearing people, there's some regret because now that we're two years in, there's some regret on some people that got stuck in that fear mindset that whether they feared the virus or they feared, or they were, you know, victimized by, you know, worrying about vaccines, worrying about the virus, or they were in that bitterness and resentment about being told what to do. Um, now they realize that they, two years of their life has been in this catastrophic negative place. And a lot of them have, are, are dealing with other illnesses from the stress created, whereas people who chose the other dance have experienced more happiness. So anyway, but we create our own circumstances yeah. by, by yeah. these things, no right or wrong. It just is, but to recognize our choice, we, a lot of us get stuck in these patterns and that's all I think you and I were trying to say. Mm -hmm. And these thought patterns create these feelings and they prevent us from living our best life. And they hold us back and they sit us on the sidelines sometimes and they throw us in rings. We weren't planning to get in <laughs> wrestling rings and they, 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 that are unnecessary, but they prevent us from doing things. Those actions you were talking about to make our lives better and also better for others. Like those healthcare workers we were talking about that I'm sure that everyone respects. Absolutely. Folks, let the gift of the shift be your personal guide through the experiences of uh, the experience of reading the stories, practicing self-reflection and choosing to unwrap each gift. You'll be able to feel lighter, know yourself on a deeper level, find peace within, create positive change and have a new outlook on life. And one other quote I want to read here has to do with the moment you choose the key and unlock personal responsibility, uh, personal responsibility is the moment you choose to shift anything in your life. Now, that goes to another one of our beautiful slogans here on the program where we are giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. One of the things that I loved in a conversation with a guest a long time ago was having to do with choices and how, I guess, the old uh, saying or whatever it is, the philosophy about how we are where we are right now because of all of the choices that we have made before this point. In other words, all the choices that I've made in my life from the very beginning have brought me here to be with you, Anne. Can you believe yeah. that? Oh, I, I didn't know it at the time when I was 7 or 14 or 21. But here I am at 61. I'm talking with you, Anne. Amazing how that happened. Now, yeah. take that into the future. All of the choices we make from this point, where will that put us? And I loved what my guest said. He said, well, think about the third possibility. Mm. All of the choices we make from this point forward are based upon our perception of what we think the future will be. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. So is your glass half full, half empty? Is your syringe with the vaccine half full or half empty? I'm not telling anybody to do anything here, but be safe. Okay, how about that? You just be safe in whatever form that would take. But 
what is your, uh, do you think that Armageddon's coming? And if that's your perception of the future, then all of your choices will be based upon that perception. I happen to believe that we as a species are not on our sixth extinction event. That's what I choose to believe optimistically. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But I'd rather believe that because, you know what, I just, I just feel better thinking that, okay, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be all right, you know. Um, then my choices are going to reflect that, that I'm going to continue to do this program. I'm going to continue to talk with people like you and so forth. Your thoughts yeah. on all of this? Absolutely. So, again, choice. The power, we get to choose our beliefs. Right, Richard? We get to choose our beliefs. So why not choose what empowers us mm -hmm. and gives us this best life experience while we're here rather than what disempowers us or keeps us in fear and puts us in darkness? Look, I choose lightness over darkness and I choose to be a light in this world while I'm here. So I'm going to choose the belief that I can do what I'm doing and keep making this world a better place and that others are doing the same people like you and people that you have on your show and all of us collectively together. And as we all strive to be light, that that's the antithesis of darkness. So yeah, I think the world can get lighter. Mm -hmm. So, and brighter. So I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to every day. I said every day I have to get up and choose that. And there are days that are harder than others to choose that. Mm -hmm. But I choose every day to believe what empowers me, not what disempowers yeah. me. Do you consider yourself to be physically a healthy person? Yes. And I'm curious uh, because it's been, oh, I'm going to say at least 12 years, at least 10 or 12 years since the last time I was physically in bed not feeling, I actually worked for a straight, uh, I worked straight for 21 hours. I beg your pardon, 21 days, not, not without sleep those times, but, and it was too much. And my body said, uh -uh, and I was in bed for the next three days. That was like the last time, maybe, like I said, eight or 10 years ago. I've not had the flu in decades, have not taken the flu shot in decades. Uh, I did get the J and J virus, the vaccine. Okay. Uh, just because it was like, I don't know. I looked at it more as the thing to do. I wasn't peer pressure so much as I want to belong, you know, J O M O. What about you? When was the last time that your body said, uh -uh, you're staying here at least, at least for a day or so. Mm. Been a while. It's been a while. Okay. And you know, I think that that's, there's some power and positivity. Yeah. And, and I see that I'm healthy. I'm 59 years old. I'm healthier in my fifties than I was in my early forties and my thirties for sure. I'm healthier longer term. Um, and I, I attribute this literally to the power of positivity and really taking responsibility for my life in all areas. I, I believe in um, a healthy mind, body, and spirit and aligning those for my life. Mm. Now, you know, I, 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 it's, it's not by happenstance, you know, I pay attention 
to my life. I notice like, I notice if I'm doing things that make me not feel well. So I choose change. I choose what I need to do differently to, to keep myself in alignment, mind, body, and spirit. So I am, you know, I've, I, I, I had knee surgery, what in 2016, that's the last time I was down, but it was so I could keep going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, it was, uh, so it's just, I choose, I choose wellness yeah, mentally and physically. Yeah. Interestingly enough, about six or seven years ago, I had knee surgery for the same reason. I had uh, uh-huh. torn meniscus both on we the inside did. and outside and arthroscopic surgery, bing, bang, boom, I'm up walking around and it's been great ever since. Same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Uh, you know, it's it. it, it uh, some might say it's rather Pollyanna ish, I guess you might say, uh, to think in these in these terms. Uh, I already know what the alternative is and I see how it wears people down. You've seen the old people walk in the streets and they're they're hunched over, you know, and I often wonder, God, what burden are you carrying? that you refuse to let go of. I don't want to carry those kinds of burdens. I don't, I just don't. I don't carry the resentments. I mean, yeah, okay, I got cranky over a a couple of vehicles and as I was coming into work in the morning, but that's gone. You know, it's like, okay, look, they didn't pick you out of a lineup and said, let's go get him. That doesn't happen. Uh, And and so I, I say, oh, you know what? It wasn't personal. And just move on. Um, and yet I know people who just hold on and hold on to grudges and they want to either they either want to make it miserable for the other person by, say, denying them the right to do this, that or the other thing. Or they actually actively go out to make that person's life miserable because of whether it's a child going after their parents because they they, they, they let them go or they adopted them out and this and that and the other thing or they were abusive. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, any, that, that they shouldn't maybe feel the way that they do, but it's what they do with those feelings. Yes, it really is what we do with those feelings. And look, it's, we're all gonna, we all have some victim energy. We all have some conflict energy. We all have things that will dip or dim our light, so to speak. It's like we have that internal dimmer switch. Mm-hmm. There are things like as as minute as getting cut off in traffic and as serious as, as losing someone or as um, having a betrayal by, by an intimate partner. I do a lot of work with separation and divorce. So I, I, I deal a lot with those types of stories. Um, so there are things that are going to dim us down into that, that place of bitterness or helplessness or hopelessness or defeat or anger or frustration. It's not about not going there. That's part of the human emotional experience. It's about not staying there. It's Mm -hmm. not getting stuck there and not carrying that around. And I've had people come to me even for, I'm a relationship coach for the most part, but I've had people come to me for weight loss and, when we get downtown, I'm like, what's really weighing you down? And it's the thing behind the thing behind the thing yeah. that we yeah. need to work on. Yeah. You know, the eating is a symptom or the overeating was a symptom of something else that they didn't feel worthy of love or, 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 you know, there's always something else behind it. And when we work on healing that emotional trauma in their life by 
connecting the dots, finding that pain that's really there by doing that reflection work, looking back, then looking within, then looking ahead, then we can change the patterns that are present in life. Um, and then the weight can start coming off. But you're talking about carrying that burden. It shows up in different ways for people. It can show up in relationship conflicts at work, at home. It can show up as, as extra weight on the body. It can show up as illness. Some people get ulcers, you know, some it's, it's a variety of things more holding on to that negative emotion. You know, when I had my, uh, gallbladder and golf ball size gallstone removed back in July of last year. I also got in touch with uh, the emotions that both the gallbladder and the liver uh, have to do with being anger, right? Yeah. And within a, with the exception of today, <laughs> uh, which I can, I can laugh about now because nothing serious really happened. Um, before the surgery, uh, something would, uh, I'd spill milk and, oh, no, I got it. And I would just, you know, and I'd clean it up and then I'd calm down and everything. After the surgery, it was, <laughs> and I would laugh. Good. Uh, why that didn't come up this morning? I mean, some would say, well, yeah, you're still dealing with your sister and all that stuff and da-da-da-da-da. Okay. I can accept that, but I still have a responsibility here, okay? And I can't let myself, I can't let myself go off in that direction because it's not safe for me, and it's not safe for others around me, um, and and that's not good. So I I take a look at that, and I um, I basically say, okay, let's 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 reevaluate what's really important. And so, at least for the time being, I was well. Gee, my what's really important is the connection that I have with my family, and even my sister, though she's passed, she's not gone. I mean, that's one of the other things aspects of this world that has also been a misnomer is that when somebody's gone, they're they're gone, never to be connected or talked with or communicated with ever again. I've been talking with my sister this entire week that she's been gone out of her body. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I even apologized to her for getting upset this morning at the two drivers. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, 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 you embodied the, the epitome of, of, uh, 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 love and compassion and contentment and no bitterness. And here I am. Da, da, da. What a great way to honor her. You know, they talk to her and to yeah. remember those traits about her to use that to help you shift. That's what you did. And, and what I'm also hearing from you is that great self-awareness uh, that catching yourself, starting to feel that anger or negative emotion. That's not going to serve you. Yeah. It's not going to change the circumstance. The only one who's going to get hurt from it in that moment is you. And then anybody else that it may affect. Exactly. And that's, that's the whole premise of emotional intelligence is recognizing, understanding your own emotions, how they affect you and others. And so it's all about self-awareness and then conscious choice. And that's what you did and exemplified so well. And Papayoti is my guest, the book, 
the gift of the shift here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to talk today about discovering the key within uh, to unlock your best life. Epitomized by a, an interesting poem. I, I should have pulled it uh, before the interview here, uh, but it's um, by uh, uh, an author whose last name is... Um, I believe the last name is Tiberius. I can't remember the first name. And I think it may have actually been a song, but uh, it was a poem nonetheless. And it's about the gods. Oh. And they're, they're kind of uh, talking here about how, man, he's, he's becoming more and more self-aware. He's, he's getting smarter and smarter. And pretty soon he's going he's gonna to know what's going on. And, and he's going to want to have control. And, you know, and, and, and um, you know, he's, he's going to want to know about who he really is or she really is and so forth. We better hide this stuff. So they begin the process of debating. Where should we hide the truth of man? Uh, and they, oh, well, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll hide it in the depths of the ocean. Uh, no, man will find a way to get down there. How about on the highest mountain? No, 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 they'll find a way to climb up there. And they go down a litany of places where they could hide the truth from man until one chimes in, ah! I know where we'll hide it. We'll hide it in his heart. He'll never look there. There you have it. That's and why that, we need to go within, isn't it? That is the whole subtitle of the book. Discover the key within to unlock your best life. It's in you and it's up to you, meaning you have to do the work. You have to take the action. You have to open that gift that's in you. Oh, there you go. You you, and what's interesting is it's always been there. It's kind of like you had the treasure map and X marks the spot, right? But you didn't believe it. That's right. Because of everything that you were told from the outside. I was born That's and raised right. Catholic. I was born and raised Catholic. How about you? Baptist. Okay. <laughs> but you, I'm sure, were told that the answers are somewhere outside of yourself. Oh, yes. I, I, honestly, with all due respect to my upbringing, my religion kept me stuck in my marriage, my first marriage, which was toxic and abusive. And because I said I do, for better or worse, this was, I said I do. So, Therefore, I got worse. Yeah. I had to live with it. Yeah. So it I knew three months in that I was I had made a mistake, but I stayed eight years and, and had two children in this marriage. And it was, but I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. And earlier, the, those toxic relationships that were actually with girlfriends where I was a people pleaser and trying to be a best friend to them instead of to myself and ended up being used and abused by them was um, I was, and, and then I was self-betraying. I started what I call the overs and unders overeating, over drinking, under performing at school. I, you know, I started failing and all these different things that just took me off my predetermined life path. And I was a planner, you know, I was a check boxer, you know, all these things. And then I just, fell off my mountain, but I totally was lost mm. and, and just, you know, kind of going down this, you know, fell down this mountain, but, but, and, and I lost my train of thought. I forgot what we were saying, but this, uh, 
But let me ask you, what's your perception? What is your definition or perspective on, and and this goes kind of goes back a little bit to maybe your religious training, uh, but even what you've learned to this point, your perfection, what do you see? uh, How is Anne perfect? Is Anne perfect, first of all? Uh, Okay, so. To go back to where I was, I hid from God because I felt ashamed. Ah. Okay. So that's, so I just sort of hid from God and I felt unworthy of God. I hid, hid, hid. I kept swimming. I just kept trying. And I thought when I do something right and feel worthy, I'll come back to God. (laughs) So that was again, where I let a religion, religion sort of, and my beliefs, my misinterpretations keep me um, distanced from God. And it was actually after the loss of my first son in that marriage that I reconnected, uh, and I started feeling and hearing God in a different way, even though I was still in the marriage and had another son, it was in his toddlership that there was, when I talk about being ready for change and opportunity and they cross paths at the same moment. And that's when we do something. We take action. I talk about that in the gift of grits being from Alabama. I talk about grits because that's when, you know, it's a grain of corn that's been ground down till it's almost nothing. And that's what I felt like in my marriage. I've just Mm. been ground down to nothing, but you leave it in hot water long enough and it plumps up into something. And that's really (laughs) what happened to me. But my, my, (laughs) and um, my, but my son at 22 months old, knew the difference from right or wrong. He's always been true to himself still is to this day. And he uh, stood between me and his six foot four father. And I'm five, three, if I stretch and said, no, dad, I know mama, dad, I bad. And that was my moment of being ready. I'd been building myself after the loss of my first son, knowing and connecting back to God. And I was being prepared an opportunity. And in that moment, I told my husband he had to leave. He laughed at me and it was still a difficult transition in my life but I stayed true to myself from that moment. I describe it like being on the high dive and you can't go back down the ladder and you're shaking and frightened and scared to jump, but I did it. Mm -hmm. And it was exhilarating and frightening at the same time. But that is what I call courage. You do it, even though you're scared, you do what you know you have to do. And that's what I did in that moment. But religion, but when you say, you know, am I perfect? I'm perfectly imperfect as humans are. And I recognize now that I'm fully worthy of love Mm -hmm. by God, by friends, um, by my husband and um, by me. And that was the big one to conquer. I was hoping you would say that. (laughs) (laughs) I will give you a very brief definition of of what I think perfection is. It is just to be epitomized in the Old Testament by I am that I am. Mm -hmm. And it says in the New Testament, be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Well, your father in heaven, if you will, is perfect because... He just is. Yeah. So if we just, (laughs) this is grammatically incorrect. If we just be who we is, if we just be who we are, (laughs) um, that's enough. 
And I yeah. love the fact that uh, I feel the same way. I, uh, I start with me and I then move out to my wife and my family and friends. Um, you know, yeah, God is in there because God is in my wife and my family and my friends. Yeah. Uh, I'm not leaving anybody out here. And, and it's, it's, you know, and it's a hard one for a lot of folks because, you, for example, you used the example of a lot of folks who come to you for weight loss. They put that weight on for a reason. For protection. That's their armor, their shield, right? Mm-hmm. I did it myself. Ah. Yeah. I did it in, after the betrayal of a of a friend in college. And mm. I did it because I, yeah, it was I started self-betraying because uh, I felt unworthy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It is a shield. Absolutely. We are talking with Anne Papayoti, and uh, we're talking about the gift of the shift and having to do with uh, discovering the key within. That's right. It's within you. Uh, the key within to, uh, to unlock your best life, which makes me think as we come close to the end of our program here uh, today, love to have you back to continue this conversation, but we, uh, it makes me think of that, and I've used the analogy before many times on this program of the movie City Slickers, and it was the first movie. And the three of them are out there, they're on horseback, and they're riding, and they're having a conversation about their best day. Wow. And there are those days I can look back on that some other people observing might say, how could that be your best day? One day I might look back on the day I was told of my sister's passing and say, you know, that was one of my best days because I learned so much not only about her and how she was and how she carried herself but about how I can do the same and that sounds real weird only being a week out from her passing but you know we can learn the lessons whenever we learn them I'm sorry go ahead I beg your pardon no that was just heartwarming that was just heartwarming. Well, yeah. my brother and I had a conversation when I was 33, half a lifetime ago. We were walking in the desert um, outside of the Elks Lodge out between Coolidge and Florence, Arizona, uh, during a family reunion. And we were just talking about, I was sharing my philosophy and this and that and the other thing, right? And my brother says, well, it's about time you got it. <sighs> to which I said, you know, it's not when you get it but that you get it and um it can be a week out it can be a day out or it can be a a hundred years out it doesn't matter if you get it then you you have it and uh i think that you have it and you're sharing it with the rest of us and i thank you for doing that thank you thank you richard same same to you i admire your work thank you we have here on Tell Me Your Story, uh, three questions that we like to ask our guests. Uh, I have maybe asked them or you may have answered them to some degree during the program, but I like asking them directly. But before we do that, I want to let you know, folks that are listening and watching, that uh, you are listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. 
to help make your dreams come true. And we come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And uh, we podcast these programs on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and other locations throughout the Internet. And uh, we are on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And as I said before, the we will be linked to um, Ann's website, uh, which is skyviewcoaching.com, skyviewcoaching.com, where you can uh, find out more about the gift of the shift. And we hope that you will do just that. We also ask you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, where we ask you to go within to find that key. If you find that key, you're going to find the lock that it fits in and you're going to be able to unlock and have your best life, I guarantee you. And uh, we hope that you will uh, take the time to do that as well as take the time to support the work that we are doing here. If you can do so financially, we would greatly appreciate it. We have a PayPal account. It's for your security as well as ours. So we thank those who have helped and those who will help. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. With that, we move on to uh, what I like, Anne, to call uh, our game, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, lightning round of our game show oh. called Tell Me Your Story, where we ask those three final questions of all our guests. <laughs> and the first of those three questions is, who is Anne Papayotti? Oh, okay. Well, I am definitely a work in progress. Uh, I would call myself a book with a lot of chapters yet unwritten, I hope. <laughs> I would say I'm a, yes, I'm a seeker of truth for sure. And I am a personal development junkie. <laughs> mm. And I, I, I'm gonna say a power, a, a, a positive mindset pusher. Did I just call myself a junkie and a pusher? I think I did. Yeah. But anyway. Well, just yeah. make sure you pay for whatever you're pushing on yourself because you'll yeah. come back and break your knees. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. I think that sums me up, though. But I love a good reading hangover. I'll ah, throw that in there. Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I... I truly hope to wake people up to truly first, I guess, noticing their life and then to, to, to recognizing that power of choice that we've been talking about, Richard. So wake up to noticing life and then to the power of choosing life so they can then shift that perspective to create, you know, the best life possible, despite the circumstances of life. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to be a light worker. I'm a light worker is how I see it. People have asked me before if I'm a thought leader. I said, no. I don't believe I've had any thought that someone before me hasn't had, but I believe my purpose is to be a light worker and to shine the light on the path behind me because I've come ahead of some people that are going through some similar experiences so that they can see through their darkness 
and they can then turn around and shine the light on the path behind them for the people following them. That's all. Hmm. Just to shine the light in the darkness. Well, I can tell you right now that your kids and your husband are very lucky in the respect to uh, to have you in their lives, just as I and my family were very lucky to have my sister in our lives and anybody else who came in connection, contact with her, as with you. Um, it's it's uh, it's just exciting to see how people have been affected and impacted. Uh, by uh, the lives of, of yourself and others as well. And um, we encourage everyone else to go out there and do the same, uh, to find that, uh, the gift, uh, the gift of the shift, find that key and unlock your best life so that you can then share that with other people. But you've got to get the best life for yourself right. first. That's right. Put the mask on your face first before you put it on the person next to you. <laughs> That's right. And thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back sometime. Absolutely. We will have you back. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for listening and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol. And Jeanette, We'll be talking to you.